And so uh, today I want to jump back into the book of Philippians. If uh, you're not there yet, go ahead and just turn into the book of Philippians. We're still in chapter 1. It's been a long month, I suppose. We're already in the book, uh, month of July. But we're going to, uh, by God's grace, finish the chapter 1. But the whole focus of, of this book really is Paul sitting in jail, but saying, you know what, there's a lot of joy in the Christian life, regardless of your circumstances. Last time I was in the pulpit, we talked about the various circumstances that he was focused on, the things that he was experiencing. Uh, similar to what you and I experience in a sense of categories. He, he uh, it was in a crisis situation. Am I going to live? Am, am I going to die? I don't know, but I'm going to just live for Christ. If I'm here, it'll be good for the body of Christ. Uh, he had his critics, people who were trying to bring him down uh, and, and diminish his influence with the gospel. Um, but uh, here today, I want us to take that last turn as he begins to unpack a little bit about what it means in our conduct. In the situations that we find ourselves in, it's not necessarily the circumstances that we uh, are, have to worry about. It's our response to the circumstances that ought to be our concern. You know, oftentimes, you can always find people that are having more, uh, bigger struggles than you are, but their response is very impressive. How do they respond? And perhaps, you know, even when we're not in a situation, we ought to consider, if I was in this kind of situation, how would I respond? Before something takes place, we ought to consider, what is my response going to be? In many ways, uh, what, what he does here in the last th uh, three or four verses of, of this chapter, 27 through 30, is that he's, he's kind of like maybe a general over the troops. Hey, we're about to go into battle, or we've been in battle, but this is going to be a big battle here. This is how you prepare yourself. If you've been on a sports team, you've been at halftime when your coach, or you know maybe baseball, football, whatever it is, you're sitting there with the coach, and, and you've been in the battle, but it's getting down to the end, and, and he's got to give you a pep talk. He's got to get you refocused. You know, per, perhaps a professor has taught you throughout the semester, but you're about to take the big final exam, and so this is how you're going to prepare yourself. I find this is where Paul is in, in this chapter 1. He's going to have a lot more to say, chapter 2 through 4, but here he's, gonna, he's just going to give him a little pep talk, this is what we need to be focused on. You've got to understand, in order to continue through the circumstances to have joy and be effective in this world, uh, he's going to give us six ways that joy is going to be expressed through our conduct. I actually had this split into two messages. I was going to share three of them last week and three of them this week, but today you're going to get the full load. But I'll try to shorten it down. I won't give you a full hour, but um, it'd be well worth your time. I, I, I trust you. Yeah. All right, so let's look at this. Six ways... Joy is going to be expressed in our conduct. How are we going to respond in the midst of our circumstances? And the first one comes right out of verse 27. And I'll just give you the point, and then I'll unpack it a little bit. Joy is in consistent Christ-like citizenship. Joy is in consistent Christ-like citizenship. In verse 27, he begins, Only let your manner of life. This is the English Standard Version. Perhaps you're using another translation. It may say conduct of life. But this chapter uh, 1, verse 27 through 30, is actually one long Greek sentence. We, fortunately for the, the English translation, they kind of break it down in thoughts and put uh, periods at the end of sentences. But in, in Greek, if you were to read it, and, and Paul seems to do this a lot, he goes on run-on sentence. He has so much to say, he doesn't pause with a comma or, or a period. One long Greek sentence, but the emphasis all comes from the word conduct or manner. Your life matters in how you're going to respond, how effective you're going to be in this world. It all rests back on 
your manner of life or your conduct. It's going to come from that. The Greek word here uh, comes from the same word that we get politics because it means city or your citizenship. Polas. And, 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 uh, pola to amai is the actual Greek word, but it comes, polis is city or town, your citizenship. Your manner, your conduct is representative of where you come from. And he's going to emphasize you are a believer in Christ. That's the jersey you ought to be wearing. Now I'm thankful today, some of you are wearing red, white, and blue. Hey, we're thankful that we live in America, that we have the freedoms, Yes. You know, I've, I've traveled, you know, many places around the world, and, and uh, though I'm thankful I've had the opportunity to go and serve, I'm thankful that God allowed me to live here in the United States. You know, we're not like God's chosen land, like Israel and all those type of things. Some people put more onto it uh, than they ought to. But we have freedoms in this country that are not shared around the world. And one of the freedoms you have right now, you're sitting here, and nobody's worried about uh, the Gestapo coming in and arresting you and, and dragging you off to prison. We have missionaries serving in places that have to be in underground churches because the government has not sanctioned those churches and they will die for their faith. And so we have some freedoms here and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'll wear those red, white, and blue banners, you know, and I've got the flag outside my home. I'm thankful. But that's my, not my ultimate identity. I'm an American, yes, but that's not my primary identity. My primary identity is in Christ alone. I'm a believer in Christ. And whether he takes me, it places me in America, or he puts me in China, or he puts me in some other place, I am Jesus. Jesus's. I've been adopted. I'm owned by him. That's the jersey I wear. And it does make a difference how you act when you wear the jersey, yes? Brandon, you were just in Japan. And you had to wear your military uh, outfit. You're representing, when you're wearing that military outfit, people notice and recognize who you're representing. So if you were to act um, uh, less becoming of, of than, than the military requires of you, would you be in trouble? You know, if he goes off uh, and uh, he goes to the baseball game in Japan, which I'd love to have done that, that's pretty cool. But then he gets drunk and he starts acting all crazy, which some military officers obviously have, uh, have been guilty of that. But yes, you, you, you'll be reprimanded for that. There are things about the Christian life, it's interesting, that we have a citizenship. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, your manner of life, your conduct matters. You're part of a citizenship of, of the family of God. How you act in the world matters because you're representing Jesus. And you say, well, I've got freedom. I can do whatever I want to do. Yes, but not without sin. How we act, how we live, how we depend upon the Holy Spirit matters. What we say matters. Philipp, Philippi is uh, where he's writing this is a Roman colony. Colony. It's a high status with the privileges of Rome. It was even in the first century known as a little Rome. We represent Rome. We're so proud of that. Wonderful. What about you as a believer sitting there in Philippi? How are you acting? Your manner of life, is it representative of Christ or more full allegiance to the emperor? A Roman citizen would never bring disrespect to Rome. And Paul's urging here, only let your manner of life, your citizenship in Christ, stand out. Paul uses this language to point to a heavenly citizenship. In chapter 3 of this book, he's going to pick back up on this theme. 
when he says our citizenship is in heaven. Chapter 3, verse 20. Your citizenship, your, where you're coming from, is, is heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when I was in high school, I moved uh, after my ninth grade year because of circumstances in our family. I moved from Texas to Las Vegas. And when I was in Texas, I was all Texan. You know, I used to be a Dallas Cowboy fan to my own shame. My wife still is, and so we still have inter-house inter battles over that. But, you know, I've always often said about the Dallas Cowboys. I was a, actually, I wasn't a Dallas Cowboy fan. I was a Tom Landry fan. I, you know, that may predate some of you, but I was a Tom Landry fan. The last man who wore a suit and tie uh, on the sidelines and never sh sh expressed emotions. But he took him to the Super Bowl for five, five times. So, anyway, that's, that's the thing. But I was all Texan. And so when I moved to Las Vegas, I brought that Texan with me. I wore boots. I had those, those cowboy-type shirts. You know, I was all Texan. And I even had the accent to prove it. You know, I've lost most of that, being in Georgia for 18, 20 years. But I was all Texan. And, and guess how many Texans I found in my local high school? As one guy said to me on my football team, he said, you know, there's like point zero 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 one percent of people who wear boots and like country music here, and you're it. And I felt very alone. But, so, you know, not that I tried to change my identity, but boy, I was, I was a foreigner in a foreign land. You know what? And it didn't matter to me. And that's, I sometimes think about that as Christians. Sometimes we accommodate to the culture. It's not that, you know, we, we have the heart to, oh, be all things to all peoples that we might win some. No, it's, hey, I've got to fit in because I don't want to look odd. The more the culture continues to, to drift away from morality, from godliness, the more we may as a church be tempted to just adopt the ways of the culture versus standing firm in the faith. And I see it. I see, unfortunately, I mean, I live in the same culture you do. I mean, I'll, I'll watch some pastors that are around the nation who used to stand firm on the Word of God, and now they basically say, well, just kind of, let's unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because it's really a, a drag. You know, and the New Testament has some things that are not preferable, so let's avoid speaking about that and just talk about Jesus' love. Listen, to move away from the gospel that was given to us is an abomination. It's very clear. For 2,000 years, we've had the printed word of God, and, and we should not drift. Only let our manner, our citizenship, it matters. Citizenship of, of heaven here on earth. We have to talk differently. We have to act differently. People may be interested to know where we come from and where we're going if we would act according to how the Holy Spirit has guided us and the word of God has, has uh, commanded us. So, moving just from that section, so you understand the citizenship that's so essential here. Only let our manner, our conduct of life, represent Jesus. It moves right into the rest of that, that sentence, says, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So your citizenship ought to be consistent, Christ-like citizenship, because joy in our behaviors have to match our beliefs. Be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How you act matters. And a lot of people say, well, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe the Bible. But do your behaviors match your beliefs? Because that's really what will make a determination if you were having any impact in the culture. There's a lot of people say, well, I'm a believer. But that's so foreign and, and opposite of what the Scriptures t say. Sometimes uh, that they diminish the truth 
and sometimes they add to the scriptures. There's a lot of legalism. We take the Bible and then we add all these pluses to it. Say, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, do this. I'm thinking, that's not what the Bible says. And so we get into a legalism in our culture, and people go, I don't want any of that. And then all of a sudden, we, we hide from the truth. You have to repent of your sins. You have to trust Christ that you're going to hell. That's a, tr a reality. But I love you too much to allow you to stay there with, with ignorance. I want you to know there's a God who loves you and will pull you out of your sin and can heal your marriages and, and can give you a way to be a parent and, and can help you understand how to endure the difficulties of this life. You cling so much to this world when there's an eternity awaiting. So joy in our behavior that matches our beliefs. We have to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel, what's been told to us. The key word here is, is worthy. Axios is the Greek word, which we get our word axis. And what is an axis? It's a, it's a fixed reference line for measurements. You measure your life according to not what other people think, not to what uh, people have said, but what the Bible says. Here is a believer. How does your life align with the axis? Is it worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Is there a consistency between your beliefs and your behaviors? Over in chapter 2 of Philippians, it says this in verse 14 and 15. Listen to these words. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Oh, we already blew it this morning, I bet. Man, it's so hot. You mean we're going to do an outdoor activity in the heat? Oh, you know, grumbling and disputing. You know, we always get there. But it goes on. It says that, why, why do we do that? Why do we do all things without grumbling and disputing? Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God, oh, citizenship again, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Oh my goodness, how beautiful is that? That you're a light of Jesus. And the light will be diminished if your beliefs and your behaviors do not match. There'd be a cover. You know, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to believe what the scriptures say and I'm going to live it out as faithfully as I can. That these things matter in this world. That we're being called to be the lights of Christ in this world. Worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't say that Jesus is Lord and then disobey authorities that he has put in your life. I mean, it starts when you're kids and, and are you going to obey or disobey the parents that he's given you? Are you going to honor them as God has commanded? What about your employers or other people of authority? We can say, oh, we, we, we love Jesus. He's Lord of our lives, but we're going to disobey the authorities. You cannot make that match. Do we demand forgiveness of others, but we're unwilling to forgive? You must forgive me for my acts, but I'm not going to forgive you of yours. Do we speak of God's kindness, yet act in mean-spirited ways and hold grudges? You know, the pastor was asked by one of his uh, congregants, hey, we have some neighbors who aren't Christians. Do you have some literature that I can give them? And I loved his response as I heard it from him. He said, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 says this. You yourselves are our letter 
of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. There's some great literature out there you can hand people, but you want your neighbors to know Christ? The first letter they're going to read of the gospel is you. Yeah, you can hand somebody a piece of paper, but they've already watched how you live to see if you truly believe what you say. And I think that's our biggest barrier in this world for evangelism. Oftentimes people say, we need more evangelists. We need more street preachers. We, yeah, you know what we need? We need more Christians just living out the faith and communicating it in a way that matches the life that they're living for Jesus. And guess what? You have the freedom to do that in this nation. You can talk about Jesus and you can live for Jesus out loud all the time. And how, it's just amazing to me how in foreign countries where it's illegal, how Christians still pursue the opportunities to share their faith, even under the cover of darkness, even under the threat of arrest. And believers here in the United States have so many freedoms and we fail to do it because we might be rejected. Our joy is in the behavior that matches our belief. I mean, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We need to give that. But we are a letter ourselves that are on display. Here's the third thing that we see in the end of verse 27, is that joy is in standing and striving with the saints. Listen, our beliefs and our, our citizenship is not individualistic. It's a corporate effort that we need each other. And you'll notice at the end of verse 27, it says, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. And it's plural language. Are you plurally, collectively, Church of Philippi, you're standing together firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I mean, the, the two emphasis here, standing firm, we're immovable in the gospel, and we're striving forward together with our marching orders. We're going to live for Jesus together. The standing firm. He repeats this in so many places in scriptures. Let me just give you a couple. One is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Boy, there's a, there's a command for today. Stop being so passive. Stop being so weak in your faith. Stand firm and, and, and be solid. In Galatians 5.1, as I just uh, read during our, our communion time, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. Don't just drift back into uh, living like the world and, and being captured by your own uh, sin. Philippians chapter 4, in the same book we're looking at, verse 1, Therefore, brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. I mean, I love you so much, I'm going to command you, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. Are you immovable? Or are you drifting with the wind or the, uh, the, the sea as it moves? With one mind, we ought to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving. Greek word is aletheo. We get our word athlete. You understand if you've been an athlete, you strive, you train, you, you, you press forward, you're competing. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, listen to these words. Therefore, my brothers whom I love, long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat you, Euodia, and I treat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Come on, you've got to stand firm together and you've got to strive together. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side, this, this same pressing forward. You've got to work together with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, those whose name are in the book of life. Once again, he emphasized the same emphasis there in chapter 4 as he's doing right here. You've got to stand firm together, and you've got to work together. Stop dividing within the household of faith. We don't have time for all the divisions. We don't have time for all the pettiness. We've got to stand firm and strive forward. We're lights. He's already mentioned he's, we're lights in this world when our beliefs and our behaviors match. Our citizenship is together. What unites us is not our color, our financial background. All that unites us is Jesus, so therefore we're all humbled because he saved us. And as he saved us, nobody here has an opportunity to boast or be proud about their life. We go, I'm, I'm, I'm just saved by the blood of Christ. So are you. So therefore, we need to work together, striving to move forward. You know, Dr. Tony Evans brilliantly said, the church is like a football game. An important part of the game is the huddle. The huddle is not the most uh, an important part of the game is the huddle, but the huddle is not the most important part of the game. 50,000 people do not pack the stadium to watch a huddle. But they are interested in seeing if the huddle made any difference. You think about that. You like football, you watch these guys, they'll get in a huddle, and you're hoping, you're excited, something's going to happen after that. Listen, we gather as a huddle every week. We encourage one another, we pray for one another, we spur one another on to love and good deeds, but this huddle is to glorify God and prepare us for the week. The world doesn't give a rip about our huddle. But I wonder if some of them are interested to see if the huddle made any difference. Did we come together, just check the box, and say, yes, we have the freedoms of Christ to come and worship, and then we just go on about our, our, our week? Or are we coming to the huddle? As I've said often, we have 92,000 people in a five-mile radius of West Lynchburg. Yeah, and just to add the thought, and they don't care about our huddle this morning. We care about it because we love one another and we love Jesus. But does the huddle make any difference when we leave this place? Philippians chapter 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, whether we're together or we're, we're spread apart, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That was last week's message. Let's go on to this week's. Verse 28 begins to challenge him in this way. It says, joy is in observing the ownership while being opposed. Every one of us will be opposed at some point if we speak up for our faith and we live in a way that represents Jesus more than, than the ways of the culture. And he says in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Listen, opposition's going to come. He's experienced it. Philippi is going to experience it. Opposition's going to come. Don't be frightened by anything of your opponents. And this, and I love this encouragement he gives us, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that from God, and that from God. Citizenships of heaven must expect resistance. A couple of key words here, this frightened or alarmed. 
uh, actually used for when, like a horse is going forward and is startled by, by some opposing thing, whether it's a snake or something. They get startled. They want to run away. And he says, don't be like that. Don't be frightened. Don't be startled when you see something that you have to retreat. Just expect it. Keep your eyes open and march forward. But then the other key word, key word here is a clear sign. When you have opposition, there's a big road sign that says, it's obvious that this is showing that you are saved and they have destruction coming for them. Now, that's pretty bold. That would get your attention on the road if you were driving down. Here, big sign. If you're having opposition, realize that God has you in his plan and those who are opposing the gospel have their destruction coming. Their destruction because they are fighting against God's will. And your salvation, if you're living for him, that means you're owned by him. You've been bought at a price, a precious price, that you are one of his. You're his child. And you think, well, why would God allow his children to experience opposition? Well, he told his disciples, expect it. It's not about the opposition. It's about the God in you who can help you overcome your opposition. You know, it's amazing to me that sometimes believers think that if there's opposition, there's any difficulty, that God must have abandoned them. Sometimes, when you're in the middle of God's will, you'll have the biggest struggles of opposition, the biggest challenges in your life. Don't think that you're out of God's will and the opposition comes. If we believe that, then Paul is speaking from, from stupidity here. He's been beaten. He's, he's chained to the Praetorian Guard. He's in prison. You know, who's signing up for that? And he's speaking out of experience. He says, I know I'm God's. I'm being counted worthy enough to endure this opposition so that the gospel may continue on. I mentioned to you uh, two weeks ago that the, because he was in the position he was in, you know, when he had Praetorian guards, the, the elite uh, guards guarding him, you know, for four to six hours at a time, guess what he got to do? That he would not have had an opportunity any other time. He got to share the gospel with people who have inroads into the palace. And not only did he share the gospel with them, some of them must have got saved because they did take it into the other Praetorian guard. They told everybody, and there were members of Caesar's household that came to Christ. Church historians show us that, that either a daughter or a couple of cousins of, of Caesar gave their life to Jesus. How in the world does someone in the, in the Roman Empire get saved at that high up? Because a prisoner took the gospel and told those who had access. You think, oh, I must be out of the will of God if I'm having opposition. That is not the issue. I just love here that if you're living for him, owned by him, nothing will happen that will hinder your eternal destiny. And nothing will hinder the gospel being spread. There's one of my favorite hymns. Actually, it's the oldest hymn in the hymn book. Martin Luther, the church reformer, came out of the Catholic Church, tried to reform the Catholic Church, but they wouldn't have it, so that's why we have the Protestant Reformation and, and all the other churches. One of my favorite hymns is, is A Mighty Fortress. In verse 3, we sing it proudly and, and, and gladly. It says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, you ever feel like that? Devil's everywhere trying to, threatening to undo us as believers as the church. It says, we will not fear 
For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. When opposition arises, when everything comes against us, when our missionaries are on foreign soil and, and their lives are at stake, realize that you can be counted worthy enough to share the gospel. You do not need to fear all that Satan may throw at you or what other opposition may come at you with. It's a sign of their destruction and that God has counted you worthy because you are His and His alone. So what does it look like for us? Temptation to compromise comes up quickly. Discouragement sometimes to quit. Uh, maybe you're overlooked for a promotion because you're a believer or a friend is spending, uh, begins spending less time with you because you are growing in your faith. Maybe a neighbor who, who uh, uh, doesn't oppose, uh, a neighbor opposes your religious flag or your, your signs in the yard. Perhaps it's like the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center who helps men, women, and babies being, uh, they're going to be vandalized because of their faith and what they're doing because they will not perform or support abortion. Around the world, there are separation from family, imprisonment, even death because of people who live their, uh, their faith. You will have opponents, but don't be alarmed and do not retreat. How should we respond? The verse tells us, stand firm. The goal of opposition is that you would back down. The goal of Christ is that you would stand on his sure word and trust him. The goal of opposition is to divide. The goal of Christ, it says, strive together, work together as the body of Christ, and his gospel will advance. Let me give you the last two here. Joy in the grace, gifts of God. You notice there it says, For it has been granted to you that you, for the sake of Christ, you, have, uh, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Just briefly, let me just point this to, to, to your attention. You've been given two gifts as a believer. He says it right here. It's been granted to you. It's been gifted to you. Don't miss the text. Spend some time, uh, perhaps this week, studying this a little more. The two gifts you've been given as a believer, the gift of salvation. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Oh, it's been granted to you that you can believe in him. That your eyes have been opened by the grace of Christ. You responded to his call. It's a gift of salvation, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It was a gift of God, not the results of work so that no one can boast. That's a gift of salvation. Most people recognize that salvation is a gift. I didn't earn it. It was granted to me, gifted to me by Jesus. But don't miss that second part. What have you also been granted? To suffer for his sake. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, you know, the, the high priest had beat the apostles. They told them not to, uh, to speak on Jesus' name anymore. And then they go on and 
they leave the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. And what happened after that? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that of Christ, that, 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 that Christ is Jesus. Now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. You notice when they counted it a gift to be saved and to suffer the, for the name of Jesus, the church grew. More people came to faith because not only did people say, well, I, uh, I, I, I know that you believe it, but man, I'm seeing it in such a way that now I'm beginning to believe it. I'm being influenced because you're standing firm and striving forward. The greater the opposition, the greater the reception of the gospel. So in verse 30, in conclusion, joy is an engaging by example. This is what Paul was doing. This is what the first century Christians were doing. And Paul was an example for the believers. He says, just watch my life and live that out. He says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now that I still have. Experienced, engaged. This is the present active participle. You are engaged. You're having your own conflicts. I'm having my own conflicts. But together we're striving forward. You're watching my example. Now be an example for someone else. This is light. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Whatever we experience in this life, based on uh, uh, us suffering for the name of Christ, is minute compared to the all-glorious heaven that we will inherit. It's all in your perspective. I'll close with this verse. Peter picks up on the same thing that, that Paul preaches on. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Oh, fascinating. You mean God's going to allow us to go through some tests? Yeah, because when you go through a test, you have a testimony when you come out pure. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But verse 13 of 1 Peter 4 says this, but rejoice. Oh, it goes back to that joy. How is joy exemplified? Rejoice insofar that you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's my heart for every one of you. Go back to the foundation of our country. When they declared their independence... When the Revolutionary War broke out, they could have cowered back. They could have said, well, it's just not worth it. But they were willing to suffer for the cause of their freedom as a nation. And I'm thankful for that. But you realize when Christ fought for your independence to be free from sin, you thought there wasn't going to be a revolutionary war with that? That Satan his demons, and the entire culture of the world is going to come after the church, and they have for 2,000 years. But when we declare our freedom in Christ, we have to stand firm, and we have to strive together. We need to be united prayerfully, press forward together, seeking his glory, because the light and momentary affliction will never compare to the ultimate glorious world that we will inherit.